Hey everyone, Tim K here, founder of the Veterans Project and the Caregiver Project, to talk to you about a special weekend coming up. You guys might remember our podcast and Caregiver Project on Mick Stevens, father of Riley Stevens, a hero of Operation Enduring Freedom. If you don't remember that particular podcast, please, please, please go back and listen to episode nine. It's a real tearjerker and a truly stirring example of our losses still felt on the home front. Riley, who is depicted in the epic novel Lions of Kandahar, lost his life in Afghanistan back almost a decade ago. To honor that enduring sacrifice, we ruck forward this weekend, September 26th in Granbury, Texas. Meet us at the Riley Stevens Memorial Post VFW as we celebrate his life at 7 a.m. for a 22-kilometer ruck march. And if that's a bit long for your cardio at the moment, you can join us at 10.30 for the 5K. There will be a raffle with all proceeds benefiting the Riley Stevens Memorial Post. And there will also be a push-pull competition for all you heavy lifters out there at 1 p.m. No matter what part of this you decide to partake in, this day is all about honoring the great patriot and Texan Riley Stevens. For more information, follow Ruck Forward on Facebook. Stories of addiction, depression, self-harm, heartache, war, fear, and hopelessness echoed in his mind. Every night, a fan would share a different story. Although Jake was the well-recognized frontman of August Burns Red, he was at a loss for how to help. He wasn't a mental health specialist, and he screamed into a mic for a living. Not exactly the picture of expertise his fans needed. Deep in thought and prayer, all Jake knew was that something had to change. Heart support is about building a place where people can come together as they are while exploring healing. They provide relevant resources to an increasingly digital generation, teaching them to give back and help others grow stronger together. Every year, they help men and women brave their wounds, find purpose, and discover healing. Their goal is to create a legacy, a term we often use, of life transformation, freeing them from suicide, addiction, abuse, and mental health issues, while empowering them with the realization they are loved unconditionally and supported by a community that believes in them. You know, it's long been our goal at the Veterans Project to not just create awareness through storytelling, but to generate an actionable process where our community gets the much-needed mental health resources it needs to find healing. We hear that number of 22 a day all the time, but what are we doing to put an end to that? Through our relationship with Heart Support, we believe that restoration can be just around the corner. Join us on twitch.tv backslash heart support on November 11th, Veterans Day, for the beginning of our new partnership and an introduction to our plan of action. To learn more and find out how you can help, send us an email at info at heartsupport.com. The point of our new relationship with Heart Support is to showcase not only those who serve in combat zones overseas, but also to really dig into the similarities of our civilian and veteran populations. You see, one of my first desires in starting this project was to create a bridge-building movement where we were able to draw our communities closer together and highlight the human aspect of each and every individual. Through the podcast, we wanted to be able to spotlight civilians at home who recognize our veteran community and understand the immense amount of sacrifice that goes into service. Enter Maddie Mullins, frontman for the critically acclaimed Memphis Mayfire, a band that is definitely no stranger to a military audience. Metal is widely known as one of the most listened to genres in the veteran world, and Memphis Mayfire is one of the most prolific bands of that genre. 
Throughout the podcast, Mullen speaks about his profound respect for those who've served and some of those experiences in meeting our armed forces across the globe. We also wanted to discuss one of the key reasons we got into this relationship with Heart Support in the first place, mental health. Matty was tremendously honest about his own bouts of trauma, which of course is not just exclusive to the veteran community, and he spoke about that when he talked about his depression, anxiety, and his journey in healing from those invisible wounds. And of course, we didn't forget to ask him about the life of a rock star. But even within that life, Mullins believes in solid foundations. Recognizing his own peace comes from his faith and a fervent depth of love and a 14-year marriage to his wife, Brittany. He also spoke about the power of music, which, for any one of us on a day-to-day basis, assuages our fears, realizes our frustrations, and for many of us, is a form of therapy. It's not fair for me to think you'd understand. The darkest part of me is part of who I am. Those lyrics from Memphis Mayfire. Those lyrics are an art form. One where in which we interpret our own meanings, and that's one of the great powers of music. I hold those lyrics as meaning the struggle in finding a selfless love that sees past our sins and recognizes us as worthy, even through that darkness. But it may mean something completely different to you. Those lyrics meet us in the most painful moments and bring us a ray of hope on our darkest days. If anyone understands that, it's Maddie. I'll admit that I have a biased interest in this story, as rock music has always had a very special place in my heart, so it was immensely refreshing to meet such a humble, servant-hearted talent as the frontman of a band I've listened to for over a decade. I've already said enough, though, so without further ado, here he is, the one and only Maddie Mullins. The Veterans Project is a comprehensive essay capturing the legacies of our warfighters, caregivers, and civilians who have stepped forward in defense of our patriotic principles in an effort to capture their stories and to never forget the staggering sacrifices of our nation's finest. This is the Veterans Project Podcast, where our legacies are the mission. Here's your host, Tim Kay. Welcome to the Veterans Project Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Kay, as always, and we've got kind of a unique guest here today with us um, as we're kicking off a really cool partnership with Heart Support, um, an organization dedicated to helping those uh, who are seeking mental health help, uh, spiritual help, and emotional help. Uh, we've got Maddie Mullins here from Memphis Mayfire. What's up? What's up? <laughs> Maddie, thanks for joining us, man. This is really cool. This is like a a dream for me. I never it's so funny cuz I was uh telling a friend of mine I was like I've always wanted to photograph bands and like lead singers and like the whole experience of a concert and here I am as a guy photographing veterans who's now in a room with with uh with one of my favorite lead singers. So That's awesome, really cool, man. man. No. I'm so honored to be a part of this. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. No, man, it's great to have you. So, Maddie, as we do with all these, you know, with all these stories, we usually go back through your life and we talk about kind of what brought you to your path. Obviously, Memphis Mayfire has a big has a big audience in the veteran space, and that's pretty special, and I know that's special to you. Can you talk a little bit about how you grew up? You came from Spokane, right? Yeah, born and raised in Spokane, Washington. Um a lot of people think it's Spokane, but it's actually Spokane. Are you pr- are you proud of me that I pronounced it right? You pronounced it right, man. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm surprised. But yeah, it's uh, it was great. Grew up there, uh, lived in Spokane until I was 19. Got married when I was 18. Wow. To a high school sweetheart. That's and pretty then, special. Yeah, it's very cool. 
I mean, honestly, man, I mean, my life would be so different, would look so different if it wasn't for that decision that I made. And, uh, you know, you and I were kind of going back and forth a little bit before we even started. I can't say that I recommend getting married at 18 to everybody, <laughs> you know, because uh, everyone's story is different, you know, but it um, does not work out for everyone. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, marriage has just been such a blessing in my life. So, um, yeah, married at 18. At 19, I joined uh, Memphis Mayfire and uh, moved to Dallas for that. We started touring right away. We made a record. It's actually funny. We did our first full length album in Seattle. So I moved, moved to Dallas and then we went back up to Washington to do the full length, came back, started touring, lived in Atlanta after that, and then lived in Seattle for uh, a year or so. And then uh, moved to Nashville about seven years ago. And this is home. We, we really love it here. Yeah. You were talking about how special this space is. What, what is it about, you know, obviously we want to kind of talk to you about growing up and all that, but what is it that's so special about Nashville and being in this area? What do you like so much about it? Because obviously it's home of me. I mean, it's, you know, a music capital in a lot of ways. It is. Yeah. And I mean, I guess like when you do music for a living, it's it's convenient to live around a bunch of other people that, you know, do music for a living. You know, it's kind of to so many people in the world, it's kind of this odd lifestyle, you know, where you're always gone or you're, you know, working on a record and you're like a hermit for, you know, however long. So people you know, in Nashville, get it. We don't live here for music. You know, we can pretty much just live wherever because, you know, when it's time to hop the bus, we can all just fly into the same place. But when I was pretty young, my sister married one of the Tennessee Titans. His name's Dan Alexander. And I've heard so, of Dan. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So I used to come down here and visit her all the time. A- Amy is a lot older than I am. So she was kind of like a second mother to me. She moved down here to get her master's in psychology. And so I used to just come down and visit. And fell in love with Tennessee, you know, like I feel like Nashville has always and will always feel like a second home to me. And so when my wife and I were living in Seattle and just unhappy, you know, I was in a really dark place in my life and we just, you know, we're like, we really got to get out of here. We really got to, you know, we got to go find our place. And so I just searched my sister's zip code and she lives in Thompson Station. I didn't know if that was like in, you know, Nashville or if it was, I didn't know. Uh, we found a house that we liked and we, you know, got it moved down here and um, realized that we're about 40 minutes south of the city. <laughs> and uh, the more friends that we made in Nashville, you know, people were like, oh, man, you live all the way out there and in, in Spring Hill and everything. We're like, we didn't know, you know. Yeah. Um, but then God has brought all these incredible people into my life since being here. It's not I, people make a place. You know, um, it doesn't matter where you live. Way, you know yeah. what I mean? Like you could live in Albuquerque, you know, no, no, uh, no shade, no shade on Albuquerque, on <laughs> but you know, you could live in Albuquerque and, uh, and if the right people were there, it Although would I've be... seen some strange things yeah. in Albuquerque. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> I love the city, but I've seen some strange things. Yeah. I mean, you, you can literally, you could live anywhere right. as long as you have the right community. And we moved down here. We didn't know anybody. My band members didn't live here yet. You know, my my sister and her husband and, and their kids were, was literally just all we knew. We had just finished up a co-headline tour with Yellow Card and got Very back. Bad. Ryan from Yellow Card lived in Nashville and invited oh, wow. me to his birthday party. I was like, oh, no way. That's so cool. So we drove 40 minutes north to, to Nashville. <laughs> to <laughs> By go the to... way, my cousin's going to freak out because she absolutely loves Yellow Card. Oh, cool. So Dude, me too, man. They're great. Yeah. yeah, they're great. Yeah. Um, So when I got there... Um, there was a lot of people and there was the one guy 
sitting at the kitchen table and for whatever reason, I was just like drawn to him. We were talking all night. Come to find out that he was uh, the original drummer of a band called Reliant K, which I grew up on. Mm, yeah, me too. And um, his name's Ethan Luck. We like totally hit it off, man. He's just like the best guy. The next day he calls me and he's like, hey, man, I'm in Spring Hill visiting some friends. Can we come over? I wow. just met him. I'm like, yeah, dude, come over. So they come over. We're hanging out. He brings with him a guy named Davey, a guy named Trevor, and a guy named Cody, who all live in Spring Hill. Davey was the singer of a band called Bleach that I grew up listening to. Yeah, I know uh, them too. The other two guys were in a band called The Wedding, which I absolutely loved. Know really like too. shaped my early years in, in Memphis May Fire, just that sound. It was just immediately like God had said, hey, here is your tribe. You're where I want you to be. Here's your tribe. And they invited me to a Bible study that they did called Reversal. It's kind of a play on words with rehearsal, you know, because it's like all band guys. And when you're a part of a church that doesn't understand the world of touring, sometimes it can feel like everyone's just like, yeah, you kind of just show up to church whenever you want, but we don't see you for months. And it's like, yeah, but this is what I do. And so Reversal was this this Bible study for musicians to attend and know that like, you know, no matter how much you're gone or how much you're here, like you're always welcome. You're always loved. It, it changed my life. That's awesome. You know, like yeah. I had been dealing with the darkest season of my entire life, you know, the two years leading up to moving to Seattle and then the whole year living in Seattle, having that community was just, was life changing. I did therapy here, which we can talk about later as well yeah. at my sister's facility for counseling, which she started 15 years ago. But yeah, I mean, from there, it, it, you know, it went out, we get, now there's a hundred people that, yeah. that live out here that we're all close friends with. And, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a whole, a, a real blessing. Yeah. That's pretty special, man. Um, you know, as you were talking earlier a little bit about Seattle and kind of, you know, coming to that dark place, what, what do you think that was? Was that, was that part of your childhood? Is that something that you started experiencing pretty early on? Or did that start when you got into music or, because obviously on throughout the course of these podcasts and stories, we talk a lot about mental health, man. A lot of guys have dealt with a lot of trauma, World War II, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, but everyone deals with trauma. Yeah. Some type of it. And as my dad used to say to me, I remember one time I came back from Iraq and I got mad because this girl was like complaining about not having the newest cell phone outside mm. of the theater yeah. to her mom and like i just got back from iraq man yeah. like wow you know and it, it's hard and so i came to my dad and he said something really powerful to me he said everybody's experience is relevant to them mm. and you can't make someone else feel bad because that's not your experience wow and like that was really powerful for me that's because huge, it made me yeah. realize like empathy 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 man mm -hmm. and that's so huge and that's part of that christ-like you know life Totally. You know, following Absolutely. Him. I mean, everybody has their own story. And even the girl complaining about not having the newest phone, we don't know what she's going exactly. through in, in the background either. That's amazing, man. I yeah. just really yeah. cool words from your dad. Yeah, very special. So so what was it for you as a kid? And, and what do you think, you know, brought on some of those moments of anxiety? It's fair to call it anxiety. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't realize, you know, when I was younger, I had dealt with some some, some really awful things, but, and it's not like I had blacked them out. It's not like I had f forgotten about them or whatever. I just didn't, I, I knew that it had happened. I just didn't know how much it was affecting me on a daily basis. And I never would have considered myself an anxious person 
I just dealt with these feelings. And and then, you know, I had a, a traumatic flight experience where I was flying from, I was on tour, flew down to Florida to cut a guest vocal for a band and then flew from, the band was going to Florida. So I flew back from Orlando up to like the Pensacola area. It was super short flight, 15, 20 minutes, something like that. I was on a pea shooter, tiny little prop plane, 10 seater, whatever. That'll and, make um, anybody nervous. <laughs> yeah. And, and we went through a, we went through a really bad storm and, and the flight attendant started praying. And when I looked over at her and wow. I saw her praying, I was like, it, it registered in my mind, Hey, you're not safe. It, you're a, you're not in control at all. And B you're, you're not safe. And I had a panic attack. I didn't realize that it was that at, at the time. I remember like grabbing my backpack and digging frantically through my backpack, even though I wasn't looking for something. I was trying to move my body in a motion that would make me feel like I wasn't getting thrown around as much as I was in this plane. It was weird. Like just like this panic moment of like, I have to do something to escape the way that I feel. Anyways, we land and I never felt like we landed. I, I kind of just, I was like off centered. I was like, man, I didn't know that I had a panic attack. I was, I walked outside, the bus pulls up, picks me up from the airport. And I get on the bus and everything just kind of looks like glossy. I can't explain it. That's f- interesting. Yeah. A few weeks later, I'm up in the front lounge eating some like soup or something. It's like some kind of morning time, whatever morning time is on tour, right? Three o'clock. Whatever. <laughs> and something's on the TV and literally out of nowhere, I am certain that someone is about to die or an airplane is about to crash through the window. Something like everything in me says danger, 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 danger. And I feel this like sick feeling in my stomach as if someone had just told me that one of my family members passed or something. It's, it was just, it was awful. And I got up and I was like, what is this? I look around. I'm like, is everybody okay? And everyone's like, yes, I ran outside, went into the venue and I looked in the mirror and I could like hear this voice saying, you're not worth it. End it. Like all this, like awful, dark, this like negativity, like out of nowhere, I came back out and my heart went from a regular like heart rate to brrr, like it was rapid fire. And so I, they called the ambulance. I thought I was having a heart attack. I was like, something must be going on. So we rushed to the hospital, got in, the doctor comes in and he puts his hand on my shoulder and he's like, tell me what's going on. And as soon as he put his hand on my shoulder, all these feelings like rush out of my body, like out of my feet. And I was like, I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure I'm dying. And he's like, I think you were having a panic attack. And like any great American wow. doctor would do, he gave me a bottle of Xanax and <laughs> sent me on my way, dude. You'll be all right, son. Just I drink go this back. down. <laughs> he, he's, he asked me, he's like, what do you do? I was like, well, I tour full time. And, and you know, like I perform on stage and he's like, well, I think you might need to slow down a little bit. And I was like, LOL, you know, like that's, that's not <laughs> that gonna happen. Happening. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So we get back to the bus and I feel like a different person. I feel like I've, uh, every ounce of confidence that I had was wiped out in that one moment. I was thinking I was going to die. I was waking up in cold sweats. You know, I was on stage always worried that I was going to have another panic attack. So I couldn't perform at my best. And that that lasted for two years straight. Two years. I didn't, I always thought something was going to change or something. I was going to figure something out when you're having, when you're in panic, when you're in that fight or flight kind of mentality and it becomes a lifestyle, you're always reaching for things thinking, oh, well, this is what's making me feel this way, or this is what's making me feel this way. And 
it took a toll on my marriage. It took a toll on my band. It took a toll on my reputation. I was like in such a dark place. I was saying things on stage that were just ridiculous, like stupid things. And, and all of a sudden the world was just crashing down on me. I was like, I have to do something. Yeah. And we moved to Seattle. My wife had taken a job in Seattle. And so, and I had gotten home from tour. The company had paid for all of our things to get moved up to Seattle. So I got home and she was fully moved in and settled in, in this new home. And I had never seen it before. And so feeling like I didn't even, I wasn't even comfortable in my own skin. I feeling like a stranger in my own body getting home to something that my wife had already like been in routine with and it feeling like an apartment, like, or like a hotel room to me, you know, I was like, this is, I just felt so disconnected from reality. Yeah, that's strange. And uh, so a turning point for me was we had some friends visiting in Seattle and we had been going to a certain church. Uh, They were like, hey, we're going to try out this church. You want to go with us? And we're like, yeah, sure. And so we went um, and visited with them. And and the way that the pastor would speak was resonated with me so much. And I remember sitting in church and feeling like the roof is going to collapse at any moment. That's kind of like the anxious feeling. Like Like I was always kind of on edge and ready for something terrible to happen. But the way that he would speak and the way that he would teach was so impactful to me. And so I got an Apple TV and I Velcroed it to the wall on the t- in the tour bus. And I watched every sermon that he had ever preached when we were on tour. Literally every wow. documented sermon that Judah Smith had ever preached. And I say that there's probably a lot of people listening like, oh yeah, the mega pastor. This is before, <laughs> this is before he was popping, right? This is before he was Russell this, Wilson's this is, Yeah, pastor. like it's, I was like the indie kid that found the cool band before anybody else. Um, <laughs> You'll take full credit for that too. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it was, it was life-changing. He wrote a book called Jesus Is and uh, that book was so eye-opening to me. I remember being in my bunk in Europe and just reading that book and feeling this relief. And so... I realized through that season that I needed to reconnect and connect with God in a way that I never had before. I got saved when I was really young, but I had always kind of just carried my parents' faith with me. It was never really my own. Um, And I needed that real connection. I'm like, I'm thinking about suicide every day because of how awful I feel inside. And I say that, I also want to say having suicidal thoughts, I never, I, I always knew I would never act on it. But the thought was crossing my mind that if this is how it's going to be forever, I don't want to live. And so having found this church and reconnected and feeling like I really started to understand God as a, a, a father, a loving father, I knew that I was on the right path, but I, I there was more work to be done. So we started looking at places in Tennessee. We moved down here. And my sister, why she got her master's here, it was in psychology and she wanted to be a counselor. She wanted to start a therapy center. And she started a faith-based therapy center here in Middle Tennessee called the Refuge Center for Counseling. That's and kind of a big deal. It's huge. And they they do th- thousands and thousands of sessions every year. They're massive and they operate on a sliding scale of income. So wow. they, do, they offer state-of-the-art therapy for anybody. Dude, that's amazing. No matter how much you make. I mean, you can come in, you can pay $5 for a session. You're still going to get EMDR therapy. You're going to get what, whatever you need. And so I came down and I started doing therapy. In that season, I learned more about myself 
and about what anxiety actually is, where it's coming from and, and all these things than I had in my entire life leading up to that moment. So I did, you know, standard kind of one-on-one uh, -on -one therapy. I did EMDR therapy, which I, I'm assuming you're familiar with um, because it was developed for soldiers with post-traumatic stress syndrome. Right. Um, I think almost all of my friends have partaken in at least a few sessions. Of yeah. That. yeah. And it's awesome. Dude, it's awesome. You do you use it yourself? Your uh, EMDR? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I did. I did a year of it. Wow. Um, and it literally changed my life. I realized in that moment, think things that had happened in my childhood that I didn't realize I was carrying with me were making me feel like an inadequate husband or an inadequate frontman, an inadequate friend. Like I just, I never felt. You know. Anyways, I can go on and on, but it was it was these realizations during therapy. And also talking about that flight and talking about, you know, just trauma from my childhood that that made me realize that my brain had never connected the dots that that it, that I had healed from those things that I could walk away from them, you know. And, and so in those moments, my brain is literally saying, OK, I get it. That's not happening to you anymore. So you don't have to walk around with the, with that. Wow. And yeah, it's like the floodgates opened. You know, I, I became I, I walk freely. I I. I feel free. I feel like I can I can invest in people and I can walk through t like hard seasons with, with people that I love and even fans and everything because I have the emotional capacity now that I didn't have before. So a lot of people don't realize, you know, and this is something that kind of hit me when you were talking a second ago, but a lot of veterans don't know what this feels like. But stepping in front of tens of thousands of fans, you know, in a big festival environment, concert environment, what's that like when you're in that dark place? I mean, because you have to have a lot of confidence, dude, to step. I mean, I'm pretty confident, but I don't know if I'm that confident. <laughs> like when, when everything is dark, everything is dark, you know. And so it, it, I went from enjoying performing live and like having the time of my life to walking on stage, always worrying about what if I have a panic attack and also feeling like everyone in this crowd is just here to judge me. Oh, you know, wow. Nobody is here to watch us perform or to enjoy a live show. Everyone is here and waiting for me to screw up. Mm. And it was like that for a long time. Wow. Wow. Yeah. What do you think it is about your, what do you think it is about your childhood? I don't know if you want to get into that too much, but what do you think it is about your childhood that brought on some of that? You know, do you, you were you raised you had good parents growing up yeah my right? parents were great yeah. yeah i had a i had a suicidal family member mm. that i loved dearly um okay and i always felt and i was so young man i was 6 7 you know wow i always felt like if i just loved this person enough then they wouldn't try to take their life but they but they did regardless wow and attempted mm. um but I, I didn't realize that I felt like I must not offer enough. I, if I love this person with everything that I have and they still wanted to take their own life, then I must not give enough. I must not be enough. So can I tell you that I know what that feels like? Because yeah. my best friend from my unit, he, he killed himself uh, a few years back, mm. 2015. It was four days after my birthday. And he was my best friend. He was my squad leader, my greatest mentor. And I remember he would send me messages at like 2 a.m. He's married and had two kids and he would send me messages and he would just be rockers off drunk, man. Like, mm. you know, in a bad way. 
And he had done five combat tours. He'd been in the Marines before the Army, and he'd seen some really, really rough things. His first tour was in Somalia and Mogadishu, you know, mm. kind of the whole Black Hawk Down era. Yeah. And, you know, in Iraq, he'd, had, he'd lost a lot of guys. And he, I just felt like he was a shell of himself. Yeah. You know how that is when you step out of a role or you're doing something different or, you know, and, and you step from one thing to the next and mm. you kind of lose that identity, right? Yeah. And he lost his identity. And somewhere along the way, you know, he started, you know, drinking a lot and, you know, taking a lot of pills. And I just remember him telling me so many times, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And, you know, I remember one episode where I got really angry with him. And, you know, it it devolved to a point where I was like, you know, pretty much just go ahead. Yeah, I, I know. I know what you mean. I had to get that way, you know, w- with my family member as well d- to protect myself. Yeah. I was always on edge. Always. They're going to do it. Exactly. They're going to do it. They're going to do it. And, and I had to get to the point where I had to let go Yeah. as terrible as that is. I it, like, I was seven, six or seven, yeah. you know, sorry, continue. No, no, that's, that's important. I'm glad you made that point. You interjected with that. That's, that's powerful because mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, I had that experience where it was like, you know, then just go and do it, man. I'm tired of you talking about it. You mm-hmm. know, I think I even called him a coward, you know, mm-hmm. somebody that I had never seen as a coward you know, one of the toughest, most Texan dudes I've ever met, you know, you get in your face in a second, chew you out, but most loving dude as well, put his arm around you and be like, Hey, that's okay. You know, like you're going to have to make tough decisions over here. You know, when I was in Iraq and he was integral to my life and just watching that identity change and like who he became Mm. was like really hard for me, man. Yeah. Because it's like, I knew this guy is a mountain of a man, you know, just an incredible individual that was so powerful in his leadership. And then all of a sudden I'm seeing this guy who's like weak and frail and mm. like overweight and eating bad all the time and like struggling. And it just, it didn't register with me. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, talking about wanting to take his own life. And I'm like, man, that's, you know, in my head, I'm like, that's weak. Like, you know, even though I disagree with that a lot now, I see there are, you know, real issues and there are a lot that goes into that, of course. Sure. But with him, you know, in the space he was, it was just hard to watch a soldier go, you know, become like that. Yeah. And, and then he did, you know, he did. He, you know, he said he was going on a hunting trip and he went out and, you know, took his own life in the field. And, you know, after that, I watched, you know, his son struggle with some of those same suicidal ideations mm. to where I've had to, you know, have many discussions with him. And, you know, now he's OK. But, mm. dude, it was scary for a while there. And, yeah. like, people don't realize, like, what a repercussive, like, repercussive is that even a word i don't know i might have made it up but you know like a wake that that leaves behind regardless of what you're going through there is no more selfish decision yeah, exactly yeah that you like, could ever make exactly i agree yeah i have another i have another friend that that took his life just not not long ago a couple years back yeah i thought, i mean if you m- might talk a little bit about that because you know music it's it's pretty common isn't it man i think everybody assumes that it's really happy world right like everybody's <sighs> Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell who's writing songs to relate with people who are going through things and who's writing songs that are actually about what they're going through themselves, mm, you know? Yeah. How many times, you know, did Chester Bennington write lyrics that like were, hey, this is if you're going through this, you need to get some help, but it's it's like it's like glorified. You know, like in in heavy music, you know, dark, darkness is like glorified. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a dangerous space. I think that it's okay to acknowledge darkness. It's okay to talk about darkness. It's okay to, 
to tell your story and, and to talk about the way that you feel and get it out. I think that music is such an incredible outlet for that. But when it gets to the point where it's like, you know, this next song is about how I hate my life and everybody, yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like, wait, 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 wait. We should be talking about these things to get better, to heal, to move past them, to learn mm, about them. Good you know? point. Hard rock and heavy metal will always be genres with lyrics that are angry or lyrics that are low, you know, like because that's those are real emotions that yeah. so many people feel. Pain and heartbreak are a universal language. Mm -hmm. And so I don't expect the genre to change and become this, you know, happy, go lucky, positive genre. But I do think that it's so important that if you are writing songs about these things, if you're sharing your failures, you should also be sharing your victories. Yeah. And, you know, if you really are struggling, you should talk to somebody, yeah. even if it's not a therapist, even if it's a family member or a band member, someone who you really trust and somebody that there are so many things, there's so much heavy weight that so many people are carrying around and they don't realize that they can relinquish it. They can let it go. They can mm. be free from that. You know what you were talking about there a second ago? It made me think about that, that idea that, you know, misery loves company. And I think that's a very real thing. Well, I know it's a very real thing, but totally. I think that's the same thing with music, man. Like, you know, a lot of veterans have been in a lot of dark spaces. Mm -hmm. Everybody assumes that, you know, we're, I think a lot of people assume that we're kind of all like Captain America and we just like, you know, live in the Midwest and come out of cornfields and yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. But a lot of us come from very bad backgrounds, man. Yeah. And like very tough spaces. You know, I had, I can't tell you how many guys I knew were from Compton or from the Bronx or, you know, really rough areas. And they joined because that was kind of their way out. You know, the whole go to army or go to jail type of thing. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of trauma in the past that comes with that. And mm -hmm. you think like when you join the army, that's going to go away. And it certainly does not. And sometimes yeah. it intensifies. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of those guys really get into a lot of very heavy and very dark music. Mm. Yeah. And, and metal and dude, it's awesome. You know, I love it. Yeah, totally. But it's the same thing of like, yeah, but what are we doing to get out of this you know we're cheering along with these songs and we're going crazy and then where's the space that we step out of that and, yeah you know and start to heal and realize like hey this i'm talking about this because this is actually a bad thing like mm -hmm. i want to get you know we want to get better yeah we want to move along yeah i mean i think that sometimes he healing starts when you just realize that you're not the only one dealing with something and that's why heavy music is so powerful you know, if I'm angry about something or if I'm hurting about something and I write a song about it, I know that there is hundreds of thousands of people that are feeling the same way. And what's the gift in that is that we're all human beings and we're all in the same playing field. But you, when you're, when you've dealt with trauma or when you are dealing with trauma or when you are dealing with anxiety and depression, the biggest lie and the most common thing that people believe is that they're alone in it and that nobody understands and that they don't want to be a burden to somebody, you know? And so when you hear a song that's like, this is how I feel like, oh my gosh, that's how I feel. Sometimes the healing process starts there. It's like, I know I'm not alone anymore. You know, this person just said the words I've been trying to get out for so long and that's magical. But where does it end? At what point? And I mean, like, you know, Jake is, is an incredible example of this, you know, uh, Jake Lurs, um, of someone who, you know, can write these songs that really like help people get these this aggression out. And then in an interview, you know, he'll talk about everything that he's gone through and 
all that he's learned and the joy that he has found. And that's so powerful when you use your platform, when you can use your platform to say, hey, I'm right there with you in the trenches or I've been there, I know what that's like. But also I'm not just gonna put on this like metal face 24 seven so that you respect me because you think I'm this like metal guy. It's like, I'm also gonna tell you that like freedom from pain and healing and joy are real things. Yeah. That's real. It's funny how that space too you just automatically think of that as like a mean hard space but like yeah immediately when i walked in like you're one of the nicest people i've met like <laughs> <laughs> like hey tim what's going on i'm yeah. like whoa yeah. <laughs> and jake's the same way man. yeah yeah and so, and so so many guys in the industry are the same way you know right um it's just like a bunch of sweethearts you know yeah. and uh so yeah yeah that's interesting to me and um you know as we were talking a little bit about veterans and kind of coming in that space you know I'm sure you've you've had some pretty powerful experiences but I but I wanted to revisit what you're talking a little bit about with your anxiety earlier yeah how important was it to have your wife's support through that and was it hard on your marriage you talked about being hard on your marriage in in what way so in 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 a couple ways um having a wife that I know would never abandon me was wow yeah was important at the same time her being someone who doesn't deal with anxiety or depression and hadn't at all. It was incredibly hard for her to know how to handle it. Brittany and I are both problem solvers. And so when one of us is struggling, we want to go to, you know, each other and be like, Hey, well, what if we do this? Or what if we, you know, you know, and that's not what you need from a spouse in that scenario. You honestly just need people to listen. Yeah. And I think that she just felt, trapped like i don't i see that you're hurting and i don't know how to help you and i feel like when i try it's making it worse and so you know that that was hard on our marriage also you know like i said earlier anxiety makes you feel like oh my gosh something's wrong i have to fix this immediately and oftentimes you don't know what's actually the root you don't know what's actually causing it so until you you know go to therapy and 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 find that route. When, when you're, when you're in that season and you're reaching for things, you're trying to figure out what could possibly be making me feel this way. You kind of just like start blaming everything around you, you know? Mm. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, my, my, my marriage, like, I wonder if there's something wrong with my marriage. And, and I even like would look in the mirror and be like, Oh my gosh, these tattoos. I can't believe I got these tattoos. I hate these (laughs) tattoos. And I've always loved tattoos. You know what I mean? Like I, I believed everything was a problem Yeah. because I was so scared of everything. You know, um, and, and so, yeah, it was, it took a toll on our marriage there in hindsight, I I wouldn't change a thing. You know, we both learned so much in that season and now our marriage is stronger than ever before. And now that we have walked through that and know how to handle it moving forward, we have, God has given us countless friends, family, fans to walk through seasons like this with, you know, we have all these tools in our belt from therapy and from what we've learned just as a married couple, as people in general. And now we can walk through this season of life with people that we love and, and encourage them and be there for them. And so that's, that's really like, you know, I think the big picture, at least God knew that was what was going to happen. So that's powerful. It's that refining fire, right? Mm. Like, you know, you're in the process of it and you know, you either get broken off by it, Mm. as we say in the military, you know, when you're really suffering and you're in a painful spot and, you know, you're just 
getting your butt kicked again and again yeah. and again. You're either learning, you got that muscle memory and you take that on and that becomes you, you know, yeah. you adapt to the situation, overcome Yeah. or you get stuck in it and then you go the other way yeah. and having somebody there that you know is not going to abandon you is so massive. Man. Totally. Like that's huge. Absolutely. That yeah. has to be very uh, mentally healthy. And I know what you're talking about with the fixing thing. Yeah. My girlfriend, same thing. We get on the phone and she's like, do you want me to listen or do you want me to fix it? Yeah. <laughs> you probably heard that a few that's times. That's so funny, man. Yeah, yeah that's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, that's that, you know, a lot of times that's how relationships are. It depends on, I guess, like what you are on the Enneagram or whatever. But right, my, yeah. wife is, my wife is definitely a problem solver, you know, and yeah. she she has a nonprofit called Beneath the Skin and they're a mentoring program for young women that deal with anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, self-harm, the list goes on. Wow. And um, she pairs them up with a peer mentor that can walk through a season of life, 12 months with them and and be that person in their life that they don't have with their family or they don't have at school or whatever. And it's, and it's so awesome. And so we do these things. I write songs for people that are going through these things. And then all of a sudden, like I'm at the worst place I've ever been in my life. And I'm like, I thought I had the answers and I don't. And so I just going through that learning therapy, man. And I did, um, I was on Zoloft for a year as well. I did uh, an antidepressant, which was life-changing. You know, Um, I can't say like, that's going to work for everybody. But the one year that I was on Zoloft, it allowed me to feel normal enough to do therapy and work out these things that I never knew I was dealing with. And at the end of that year, it was uh, like, I felt like my life had changed, you know? God gives us doctors too, man. Like, totally. Straight you know, up. Like, Absolutely. I, I feel like we're so quick in the veteran community. I could, I could definitely get in trouble with my following for this, but um, <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think that, you know, we have a tendency to like cast aside all forms of pills because, you know, we see the over dependency and sure. the over yeah. prescribed, you know, I mean, dude, when I was getting, when I was getting, I had a lot of knee and back pain coming out of an infantry unit, of course, you know, cause I'm carrying a lot of weight all the time. Yeah. So they, so they were giving me muscle relaxers, mm-hmm. but dude, they were giving me like a 500 load. So like, you know, they were giving me cycle benzaprine and they were giving it to me in 500 pills. Wow. Like that. That's terrible. Yeah. Like, that's terrifying. Yeah. You know, like again, you could so easily like hurt or kill yourself or, you know, or go over your prescription, and not even realize it. Absolutely. And yeah. it's super addictive. Totally. You know? But, you know, one thing that I that I really feel like is, you know, it is a bureaucratic system. They're trying to handle a problem and they don't often know how to because yeah. the load is so heavy coming in, with the, you know, with all these new types of traumas and things that guys are experiencing. Yeah. You know, sometimes that sometimes the pill can be the fix, you know, it can like, yeah. you know, it's not obviously not in that amount. But, you know, there are there are times where people do have chemicals in their brain that are not, you know, quite adding up straight up. I mean, working. I did. I, I yeah. had an actual literal mental illness of a chemical imbalance. Yeah. You know, I had it had been. At two years, I didn't remember enjoying the feeling of like sunshine on my skin. Wow. You know, I was on Zoloft for like a week and I was like, oh my gosh, I was in Phoenix working on a record and I felt the sun, the sun hit my arm and I was like, that feels good. (laughs) I forgot what anything that felt good was like. Wow. And you know, I was just so low, you know, it really helped get me to the point where I could work out the things I needed to work out. And you know, it's, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a therapist. I, you know, I can't recommend this for anybody, but, but I, but I'm not going to ever hide anything about my journey that helped me when it could potentially help somebody else too. 
yeah. if you're scared of medication or if you're scared of therapy, it's okay. Hollywood has definitely made us believe some BS. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Like yeah. mental health, even just that, you know, mental illness, like those kind of things, man. Yes. Like it Im- immediately makes you like cringe. Yeah. Why? If someone told you that they broke their arm, you'd be like, oh, that sucks, man. They put it in a cast and you'll be better. It's, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. if like I have, a, I have an issue where I, I f- don't feel the way I should feel. Yeah. And I don't know what's happening. Well, go to a therapist. Yeah, yeah. And talk to them. Go to a psychologist. Talk to them. You know what I mean? That people, Just because you're dealing with something like that doesn't make you crazy. It doesn't yeah. make you different. It doesn't make you you know, um, undesirable to be around or weird or anything like that. It makes you human. Right. And all the people, you know, especially like people like in my dad's age range, right? Like like that age, just because they're not talking about what they're dealing with doesn't mean they're not dealing with it. And I think that this is the time, you know, spreading awareness for, for mental health is so important to me. I think that right now our generation can be the ones that, you know, say, Hey, listen, I know I'm a male, but I'm going to talk about my feelings. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And yeah. that's important to me. Yeah. And I'm going to address things that are hard and I'm going to cry. Yeah. And I'm going to let go of of all this that I've been carrying with me my entire life so that I can be the best version version of myself for myself and for everyone else around me, you know? I want to have the emotional emotional capacity to 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 love my child. Yeah. You know, to to lift up my spouse. Yeah. You know? So anyways, um yeah, I I think that no matter, you could ask me anything about my journey and I'll, I'll be honest, you know, Dude, I, I'll, yeah. I always, I won't hide anything. Well, I appreciate that brother. I know when I came up here too, it's like, you know, you're always thinking because I'm thinking I'm dealing, I'm always dealing with different people and yeah. veterans. Some guys don't want to talk about the emotional journey. Some guys do, but it's becoming definitely more widely accepted, which is a very healthy thing totally. in our community, man. We've got, it happens so much with us. You know, you, you hear the term, you know, I don't even like it, PTSD, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. Now it's kind of being called PTS because they realize calling it a disorder is like, you know, probably not great. Uh, but, you know, a lot of us, like it's normal to respond. You see somebody get shot. You see somebody get blown up. Yeah. You see somebody get shredded by shrapnel. Mm. You're going to have a very negative reaction. That's normal. Absolutely. You know, like, and carrying that forward... You know, like you were talking about Hollywood, man. Hollywood has damaged the veteran community in so many ways. It's done some good things for us, but it's damaged us in so many ways because now you got employers that are like thinking you're going to become the next, you know, workplace shooter because, Mm. you know, and won't hire you because you having PTSD. It comes to a point where now guys don't even want to get diagnosed, man. Yeah. Because they know that that diagnosis will be a career killer. You know how wow. many you know how many veterans would you know we talk about in this world nowadays there's a lot of you know issues with we're talking about policing and you know and all the things that are attached to that a lot of veterans would make really great cops but they can't even be policemen because they write you know they they have a PTSD diagnosis and that is so terrible Isn't that crazy? I've never thought about that. You you think about the patience that it takes to be an infantryman, you know, going into situations where you're you know having to deal with kids and and different people and you know every type of situation you could ever imagine in a different culture and you got people coming into these communities um you know you're coming into a civilian community again with people that you know and you care about and you're wanting to get hired as a policeman and you're you're very used to making split second point four second decisions where you're kicking down a door and you've got literally the 
same decision making capacity as you would hitting a 96 mile an hour fastball. Yeah. Like you got to make a decision, you know, kill or save. And then being in a place where you can't even sign up to be a cop and like protect the people around you in a position that you would be great at, Mm -hmm. quite honestly. Yeah, absolutely. And have the emotional capacity to handle. Because, you know, how many times have we heard, you know, not enough training in our, you know, our, our guys do like we train all the time yeah, and we learn very quickly from scenarios and situations. So having that diagnosis like kills a lot of careers. I've had two or three guys say, yeah, I went into, uh, I went into, uh, you know, a room and they asked me if I'd ever killed anyone. And like, that was the end of it. Cause I had, that's so unfair. Isn't that crazy? I mean, wow, dude. <laughs> yeah. So you, you but it wasn't you, your it wasn't their choice you no. know like that yeah. that's they served our country yeah yeah my, that blows my mind exactly so it's like you you know you're asking for what less training you want less of a guy yeah. who's experienced stressful situations yeah. and capacities where you would never want anybody to have to deal with that ever yeah but they have dealt with it um, so I think you hit on a really good point there about you know about the misrepresentation of those traumas right yeah. Like trauma is a very normal thing. Heart support's gonna love this podcast, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, yes, mental health all day. Trauma is. Yeah. It, it's. I mean, and everybody deals with some some level level of trauma. You know, like you said earlier, every everybody does. Man, I'm still just kind of like rocked th- thinking about like somebody trying to get a job. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and having served and and ha- being turned away because they served our country. That's that's. Wild. You can imagine how I feel like stepping out as an artist. You know, it's it's a strange thing, man, because there are not many veterans in the arts. Like, it's kind of a strange, it's kind of a strange feeling for you know we're we're really we don't talk about our feelings. You know, like yeah. <laughs> we're very gruff and like. But yeah. there are a lot of great artists in the veteran community that if they really opened up, like totally, you know, they would have. I knew guys who could you know paint, draw, and just were incredible musicians and guys that just really. But there's something about it that's like there's this weird stereotype with it. But at the same time, you'll find guys like in the in the military circles that are, you know, worship these bands. Yeah. <laughs> and stuff. So it's, it's a strange thing. You know, it's, it's yeah. a weird thing. It's like, well, I'm a soldier or a Marine, so I can't be an artist. But, you know, now that I've stepped into the space, man, I've I don't think I've ever been more respected in my life. Do you feel like the military gives you opportunities to excel at things like art? Like. Or not, no, just no. like not at all. Huh. <laughs> no, yeah. I guess I don't, I, I don't have any, I can't speak to it because I, I don't know. Yeah. I just wish that they would nurture that aspect of people's creativity, you know? Um, so there have been a way. few, there have been a couple of guys like Adam Driver, uh, you know, you know, Adam Driver, the actor from, uh, who played um, Kylo Ren in Star Wars. Yep. And he, he, you know, he's a Marine veteran. Really? Yeah, did you know that? I did not. Yeah, know he was that. infantry. Yeah, he signed up right after nine eleven, and um, you know he he he's unfortunately got hurt, and so he was forced out of the Marine Corps, or fortunately because he became you know an award winning actor. But he uh, yeah he started like veterans in the arts, but that's just one program, man. Like the the military itself is not good at nurturing your movement and transition out. Hmm. Like you yeah. know. We get like these five day FRG forums where we go in, um, you know, yellow ribbon program where they like, all right, you know, here's your benefits. Here's what you've got. Have a, have a nice life, you know, and that's kind of it. Wow. And like, that's, that's tough on guys who, you know, maybe all they know is the military. Maybe you've been in for 15, 20 years. Totally. 
Or maybe you've been in for six years and you had a really violent career. What do you do? What do you do? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, man. So, you know, you could imagine it as a musician. Like, you know, you're in a band, you're a lead singer, and then one day maybe you guys decide to turn the lights off. Hopefully not, because we love your band. Or maybe there's like a virus and, yeah. and no one can tour anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like, what if, Ever. you know? <laughs> For the next yeah. 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, and, and then you don't have that. You can imagine what that would be like. You you love this. This is a passion for you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Can you can you talk a little bit about that, about what this passion is like for you? Because, you know, I don't want to lose the transition point, but, you know, you can imagine losing that would be. I can't. I can't imagine. Can't. Yeah. I can't imagine. No, I mean, like if somebody came and took away all of my ability to create music, play yeah. music, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. I, I would I would feel like I did. I wouldn't. I don't know who I am. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What's and, that? Uh, what's that passion like? What's it? Where, where did it come from? You know, I was raised in a really musical household. We didn't do sports. We did music. You know, okay. my dad played guitar. My brother was a musician. My mom loves music. My sister dated a bunch of musicians. Like we just like, that was it. You know, like we would go to concerts on uh, every weekend. My mom would take us to festivals and my brother. Sounds bro like a cool mom. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was cool. Um, and granted, you know, these are, these are, these festivals are, are, we're not like warp Tour festivals and okay, things like yeah. that. You know, it was like, creation fest and like jesus northwest and stuff like that but like regardless it was a great time yeah like dc talk and oh, yeah, know, audio yeah. adrenaline and stuff like that i mean that was my childhood you know yeah. my brother played in a christian band as well and and just like they played shows all the time that's what we did you know as a family is we'd go to, we'd go to shows and so um it's always been a part of my life to the point where if it if, if i didn't have it i wouldn't know what to do you know, I've gotten asked that in interviews before. If if you weren't doing music, like what would you do? And it's like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I started a hair product company and, uh, you know, entrepreneurship has always kind of been in my blood. Like I love just like chasing a dream and idea, you know, but a lot of what made on point pomade possible was music and my career with music and my reputation in music and things like that. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know what is, I would do. Is it was it weird to step onto because you you had been in bands before, obviously before Memphis Mayfire, and then yeah, was it weird stepping onto stage in that capacity with this many fans and like you know in in being on stage like that was that strange feeling for you or did you just feel like oh this is it like I mean you you tried out you tried out for the band right yeah um the, the band had been around for. A year. Okay. You know I mean? So not very long. Put out yeah. an EP and, and, you know, like they, they, they had signed a record deal, but they were not very established yet. Okay. You know, um, so I came in at a pretty good time for it to still feel like it was my thing, okay. you know, cool. uh, or, or like that I was part of, of the thing, you know? Right. But yeah, I mean, what's crazy, dude, is that they came from the Dallas scene. Okay. Like growing up in Spokane, where like venues would shut down every six months because, you know, unless their bar tab was high enough. Like they weren't, they didn't, couldn't keep their doors open. We got to Dallas and the very first show I played with the band, there was 6,000 people there. It was a, <laughs> it was a festival. Wow. It was a, this guy named Mike Zimmer, he's a promoter in Dallas, used to put on shows at this place called the Plano Center. Okay. And I mean, like, you know, he'd be like, oh yeah. And by the way, like a couple months from now, under oath and a day to remember and bring me the horizon and pierce the veil and Memphis Mayfire. It's like, they're all coming. They're like, Oh, cool. You know, like it, that was just like a, a thing, you know? And, uh, so we went and we played the Plano center and like everyone, you know, Dallas had really latched on to the band and had really 
um, nurtured the band. And so when they got a new singer, I think a lot of people were curious, like, does this, can this kid stack up? So our crowd was crazy. The crowd was huge. I was like, whoa, this is what a real music scene looks like, you know, coming from like a small town. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was crazy for sure, but I think I was always ready for it. Yeah. Did you feel stoked? Just absolutely yeah. lit up to be on Dude, that stage? Dude, I remember like getting my first ever tour laminate, little piece of plastic that hangs from your keychains. I was like, <laughs> this is actual gold. Yeah. You know, like this is, this is incredible. Like I get to go and play music for 10 people every night. Like I feel lucky, yeah. you know, like it was, it was awesome, man. And and we did, I mean, we, one of our first tours, we went out with like Greeley Estates and I wrestled a bear once and, um, this band from Japan called fact. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like those are still some of the greatest touring memories of my whole career. Really? You know, it doesn't matter how many like buses we've had, like, you know, massive venues playing for 20,000 people in Sydney, Australia. It's like, I look back and I'm like, dude, those gas stations, we would pull off into Walmarts and we, you know, it's a scrim is scrim. Hmm. I feel so, like I've heard so of it. scrims are, we're like, they're not super popular anymore, but you had like PVC piping and then like, and then like a, a banner that was held up by the PVC that would have your band's logo on it. And it would go on the left and the right side, like oh, yeah, yeah. cabinets and stuff like that. And we had those. And so we would park two vans next to each other and then put a scrim here and a scrim here. And we'd have our own little like community box area in a Walmart parking lot. And we would just like grill really cheap hot dogs. And like, <laughs> it was the, the best time of my life, man. Really? Like it was incredible. And those guys from, J from Japan fact, I mean, they were just like the sweetest human beings and uh that's awesome yeah so yeah it was it was all pretty crazy and it all happened really fast for me you know like at at 19 having tried so many times to start a band in spokane and then going down there and it was like boom wow know, right away that's powerful man you know that's funny because i i you know not at that level but in a different way kind of experienced that early on with the project you know like not having enough money in my bank account like being worried about ramen and like yeah. you know like yeah. sleeping in my car in west texas truck stops and yeah. you know and just showering off in like a local stream or whatever you know totally <laughs> probably scaring somebody's family yeah right <laughs> um you know but i'm like it, it's crazy man because i look back at that like and that was before like i had you know hilton helping out which i've been very thankful for for my rooms but that was before all that like i was sleeping in my car mm. and you know doing that whole thing and just telling stories man meeting like some of the legends of my you know, my space, Marine Recon guys, pararescue guys, Green Berets, you know, Navy SEALs. And, so cool, man. And like getting to meet these guys and like not knowing if I had like enough money to make it back home, you know, like yeah. just doing my thing. That sounds like touring. Dude, I mean, yeah. literally, we yeah. didn't know. We, we had to sell like at least five T-shirts to have enough gas to get to the next city. Wow. And there wasn't even five people there. <laughs> so it's like, will you buy three t-shirts, please? You know? Please. Um, yeah. It's like that, that was it. That was it. Wow. That's crazy. And now, you know, now that you're playing in, you know, much larger capacity, you still say those some of those memories are some of your favorite. It, it was the best. It's probably a lot easier best, yeah. to look back now and be like, that was really cool. We didn't have any dude. We were kids with a van Mm -hmm. and no one was telling us what to do. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, we just like went. We are wow. like, all right, cool. Our booking agent says we have shows in these cities. Like, we're going to go find out. <laughs> you know, like, just did, we went and just did it, dude. You know? You're showing up and you're like, I hope we're on. We, <laughs> we built like bunks in the back of the van that were like 
it was like four miniature coffins. <laughs> and we thought they were the coolest thing ever, dude. And we would masonite like wood yeah. in between the, you know, two bunks so that you didn't get slivers when you like and it, I mean like dude, it was just uh yeah. That's powerful. Great time. Yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, you, you you've been on the road a lot in your life now. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your you know, your um interaction with the veteran community and what you've seen out on the road and like you know, because obviously you do have a big fan base with us. Yeah. And- oh, man. I mean, like the the moments are, are countless, you know, and I remember like one of our first times being in Germany. And we were there for a while, just feeling kind of disconnected, feeling kind of um, homesick, you yeah. know, and we met some American soldiers that were stationed in Germany and they spoke English and they had, you know, like an American accent. And I was like, I almost cried. I'm like, dude, I'm going to hug you. And they're like, <laughs> we're big fans. I'm like this rule, you know, let's go out and hang out together. And, yeah. um, but yeah, man, I mean, like, I feel like, um, we always have either like active military or, um, you know, veterans at any, at any show, mm-hmm. at every show we play, you know? Yeah. I think that there's something about that lifestyle that, you know, heavy music really caters to, to have written songs that encourage somebody or gave them the, the extra, whatever they needed to get through a day or to get through anything, um, is an honor. Yeah. That's a huge honor. I mean, these are the people that are fighting as a Christian, these are the people that are fighting for my freedom to worship in the place that I live. Yeah. So they're, I'm like, they're all stoked to meet me. I'm all stoked to meet them. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's it's just cool, man. So yeah, I mean, any, any veterans, any active military that listen to this podcast, like, please knock on my tour bus door. I want to meet you. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool, man. And very, very appreciated. Uh, because you know, we, we so many times, I mean, I know even before I was in the military, I was into you guys and I, you know, I had a, I had a very healthy love of rock music, period. Yeah. And so like for me going to shows is like the most incredible experience. My first concert ever was a uh, Nintendo Fusion Tour. Yeah. And it was like Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco when they'd only played like three shows. Like I think it was uh, Motion City Soundtrack and like. It was my first show, and it was a really interesting experience. And then I think the next one was like Norma Jean, and yes, somebody, <laughs> like dude. like old Norma Jean, like Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child, like that era. Like yeah, like Independence Day strobes on the on the stage, and yes. I felt like I was having seizures yes. during the middle of the concert. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Jumping on top of the chair, the lead so singer, sick, and man. like falling off, and like so still sick. screaming on the ground. Yeah, and like you know, like I I had a big, and I remember this guy in a mosh pit, like literally being like running around and being like somebody broke my arm in one of the mosh pits. Who was it? I'm yeah. like, dude, is somebody going to tell you? Like, yeah. you broke your arm? Like, that's a, that might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, the experience in music for me has been such a powerful one, man. There's something about the connection of those lyrics. Where does that inspiration come from? And, and you know, how cool is it to get veterans walking up to you and saying that, you know, their ly- those lyrics inspired them and got them through a hard place because yeah, mentality mean, is a large part of it. Right. I think, you know, it's like I said earlier, pain is a universal language and we, we are all human being. It doesn't matter if you're in the military and I'm a musician and this person works at Seven Eleven, and it, it doesn't matter. 
you know, we're all experiencing life. And so I can write about my life and someone else is going to feel like that song is about their life, you know? And, um, I can write about experiences that I've seen or, you know, people that I love that have gone through these incredibly hard things. And, and that's, and, 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 and those are songs that people will be able to relate to, you know? Yeah, Yeah. When you feel like a song was written for you, Yeah. you know, I feel so lucky that I don't have to try to write songs for other people. Yeah. Like I can just write songs and know that those songs are going to become songs for other people. Yeah. You know, like they're going to hear it and be like, how did you know? I'm like, well, we, we know we're, <laughs> we're, we're humans. We're everyone's human. Yeah. That's, so, yeah, that's powerful. What do you, what are you most looking forward to? I know it's been a weird time with this whole, you know, I, I think I can go my whole life without ever hearing coronavirus again. Yeah. For real. Uh, yeah. But what do you think, you know, what has been the most important thing for you mentally while being off the road? Because, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but it's been a little tough probably not being in front of fans. And, you know, what's that been like for you mentally? We're working on a new record right now, so I don't feel like I've lost everything. You know what I mean? My booking agent, Dave Shapiro, he is one of the greatest human beings I've ever met in my life. Wow. He's lost everything. You know what I mean? Like not, not like his whole thing is crumbled and everything, but I'm saying like anything that he has in his career to look forward to, he books shows. Yeah. His agency books shows. They put on live events that doesn't happen anymore. So, you know, at least hasn't for, for a while now. So, I mean, like it's just been a a dead stop for us. I feel like, you know, we got the freedom to say, okay, well let's, let's write a record. Let's write the best record we've ever written and stay stoked. So yeah, I think that, um, you know, crew crew guys, like guys that are like, that have never had like a normal job at home because they're always out on the road and they're always, they've, they've lost hard. And obviously like our band has taken a a huge financial hit, not being able to tour. It's, that's just the reality of it, but, but everyone has. And I think that for me, you know, my wife time with my wife is a luxury Yeah, and and has been the whole time we've been married, got married at 18. I started touring full time when I turned 19. So it's like, and there was, there was touring years where we were doing 300 dates, you know? And it's like, so someone being like, you have to stay home and you can't leave and you can't (laughs) tour. I'm all like, all right. You know, like your wife's like, yes, you're, you're telling me that like, this is like by law, we cannot put people in a room for a concert. Yeah. Well then I'm going to enjoy every second that I'm home with my wife. Yeah. How much, how much is, you know, God spoken into your marriage through this season, man? And like, Oh dude. You know, like, yeah. yeah. I, there has been so much that we've learned. I think that my biggest takeaway from this whole time frame, 2020 in general, yeah, is just that everybody needs grace. I need grace. The guy on the news needs grace. I need grace bad. You know, yeah. like, like everyone is like in their houses. They're like not allowed to leave. Anxiety is building up. Anger is building up and everything explodes. And like all these people are like this and they're so mean to each other on the internet. And people are like calling me things that I'm obviously not. And like, just, I, I feel the weight of everyone saying without saying, yeah. I'm hurt. Mm. I'm hurting. I'm scared. I'm anxious. The world doesn't look like it used to. I'm freaking out. I don't know what this is like. I don't know. Or I don't know how to handle this. And what what it actually looks like though, is an angry Facebook comment or someone with a right. very, you know, harsh opinion about this is how it should be. And this is what you need to do. And everybody is this and that. And it's like, 
hey man i i love you wow you know yeah. what i mean hey like i know that it's like, hard to do totally yeah. you know like everybody feels like they have an answer or they need to have an answer to to something that's going on and i think that the answer is that we're all just learning we're all just kind of like yeah. watching things happen and being like okay well how can we do how can we handle this the best right you know and um and how can we love each other through the process man it's like I am so tempted to just be like, to just like hang out with my friends here in my community and like act like the rest of the world doesn't exist sometimes because people are so awful to each other. And I, and I just want, I just want people to realize that, you know, cancel culture and trying to correct people on the internet and like always being right and having this like huge opinion and and all this stuff that can't be the end all be all, you know, like at at a certain point we all have to come together and say like, we have to lift each other up. Your opinion might be different than mine and that's okay. Yeah. Your lifestyle might look different than mine and that's okay. But you're a human being and I respect you. Yeah. So I will listen to you regardless of whether I agree or not, you know? Yeah. And forgiveness is such a massive thing that we all need it. Like I've needed it before in my life so many times. Everybody does. Yeah. Yeah. That's, It's it's a powerful experience, and as I was telling these stories and like hearing these incredible you know things played back to me, it's like of finding truths about our community. I had no idea, and finding the individual aspects that make us so different. You know, yeah. we are very different, man. Like the yeah. military is very diverse, and so meeting these guys and all, like a lot of us serve for the same reason, but a lot of us have different ways that we got there. Yeah. And then our lives change as we leave the service. You know, I could have never imagined becoming a photographer after I got out of the military. Yeah. uh, But you know, one of, one of the things that I saw in these forums is there were a lot of massive misconceptions, but I thought, what do I do to actually change it to where I'm not just becoming another megaphone? Yeah. Because everybody is shouting. Mm hmm. Everybody's angry. Everybody. Everybody's online. Everybody's on Facebook. Everybody's on Instagram saying something. What do I what do I do? I'm so mad about these misconceptions. Yeah. How about I like tell stories hmm. and let the guys speak for themselves? That's awesome. And so putting together the veterans project for me was my megaphone. It was like into the world, you know, like Man, that's so cool. You can hear from the guys. You can hear our stories. The same thing what we're doing right now. It's like Anybody can guess what you think, but now they get to hear what you think. Totally. You know, veterans get to hear you talk. You yeah. know? And then, and that's important because anybody can say, well, Maddie said this or Maddie said that. But until they hear your voice, yeah. they don't begin to know you. Yeah. You know? So for me, that was a big thing. I was like, I'm mad about this or I'm upset about this. Why don't I start something that tells people who we are? Yeah. Because there's such a misconception about us, man, that we're like these robotic cyborgs that like go to war and then we come back and then it's over and they plug us in until the next war. Yeah. Yeah. For real. Yeah. 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 People think that, but then I've met some of the most diversely talented people. I was just up in uh, Montana with my buddies, Micah and Chris, they started this group called heroes and horses and they help, they do equine therapy. Like they train veterans on these just broken Mustangs who were like sold out of used car lots and stuff like Horses being sold in terrible conditions, man, wow. beaten and abused. Oh, dude. And they teach men and women to deal with their demons through the reflecting pool that is a Mustang. That's just incredible, man. Yeah. So we're in Montana. We're riding up these switchbacks into the mountains at like 10,000 feet. I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but I'm learning <laughs> like as That's I go. so cool, man. And like former Navy SEAL, um, one of the guys who started it, Micah, uh, think who's a good friend of mine now he was in 
the world. Tr- he was in. He was in. Uh, he was a lineman in New York City playing in a ska band hmm. um, in New York City when the trade centers went down. His buddy called him into the city, and so he goes into the city when the towers are down, and he's helping this lady dig her son out, and he's digging people out for three or four days, man, like body wow. after body. And he's like, I was this punk rock kid. Like, I didn't want to do anything except play music. And then I go, I've got to. And then I go, I've got to do something. I got to do something bigger. Yeah. I got to do something bigger than myself. And so he joined the Navy and then became a SEAL and then was, you know, like, like you know, That's like, crazy. He, and he had no, he had no desire to be in the military. Like he was yeah. talking to me about, you know, moshing and, you know, pits, of, you know, as I lay dying concerts totally. and like, you know, and like, and then now all of a sudden he's on this high volume like super special operations team and like going over there and dealing with the source of you know his pain yeah and now he starts this organization where he's helping veterans work through that therapy you know work through the things they need with these horses with yeah these mustangs that's such a powerful thing you know man that is incredible <laughs> that's so cool so, yeah yeah he, in fact we're talking to him about you know being one of the guys that speaks up for uh, heart support on our when we Very start cool. doing our thing, so yeah, it's it's really cool, man, to meet these guys. That you, you know, for for healing and in, in mental health, you know, there are a lot of different avenues to go about that. But you know, one of the points that uh, Micah made was we're just a median. Like he said, I don't consider like horses like the end all be all. I don't consider everybody doing equine therapy to be the thing. Yeah. But like we have to be able to handle this in non-traditional methods. Like we have to look at every person and individual as an individual. Totally. If we treat everybody as like a massive community, that's when we start getting into problems with mental health. That's when we start handing out massive dosages of pills. Like, yeah, here's your 500 pills. You'll be good after this. Like, yeah. no, I'm probably going to be in a ditch. Like, yeah. you know, this probably isn't going to go well. Yeah. Like we have to treat everybody as an individual. He said there was this powerful process where you know he goes into the into the uh it was actually chris the program manager for them and he goes into the room with the va he's got this 24 year old like just fresh out of school and counseling like girl who's sitting down with them and she starts telling him well you've got multi you know bipolar disorder and you got this this and this and he put his hand over his name on the folder and he said what's my name and she said, uh, what? He said, what's my name? And she said, uh, I don't remember. And he said, you're telling me what my problems are. You don't know my name. Man, that is so powerful. <laughs> like, you know, we were talking about love earlier, like empathy, right? Yeah. Like having those Christ-like qualities. You know, my faith is big to me and my audience knows that. Like, sure. it's important to me. Um, how important is it to speak to people on an individual you know basis like you that's so important i mean unfortunately in music we don't have those opportunities with everybody right um the thing that's so amazing about music is that it get when somebody listens to music that we write it's kind of like talking to somebody you know but when we do have the opportunities after shows outside the bus uh, meet and greets, whatever, you know, those are incredible moments. Like you meet somebody and they've had all these life experiences that you know nothing about. And, but, but you do find out in that moment that something that you created helped them through that. Yeah. That's unreal. 
You know, we've met people with life-threatening illnesses, people from incredibly abusive backgrounds, you know, um, just pe- people from the the depths of the depths and that that have felt victorious in moments of listening to our music. And that's, that's crazy. <laughs> There's therapy attached to that though, man. There is, There's something yeah. about the words and, yeah. the, and the, but the lyrics. And- totally. But I mean, like to, to speak to the point of like making people feel like a human and not just a, a statistic or a number or whatever, yeah. you know, is so important. And I think that there are so many systems that need to change yeah. uh, for that to be the case. At the same time, you know, like you you have to give grace to the psychologist, to the, yeah. the person that's prescribing medication to, they have such a massive workload and n- could never, you know, be expected to have the mental capacity of knowing the names of every single person that they, but I mean, when you're staring somebody in the face and saying like, this is your issue, 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 but I don't actually know you at all you know it is it's such a crazy thing yeah um so i think that's tough but yeah grace yeah grace yeah <laughs> it all goes back to grace mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you what's the most powerful part of you know of course veterans out there who want to know your process and like the the way that you do things what's the most powerful part of doing what you do as a musician like what do you what do you enjoy most about the process of creating music i think that when i listen back to something and it doesn't feel like I wrote it. Mm, that wow. moment is like, Oh my gosh. You know, if I get goosebumps listening to my own music, which I'm sure someone will take that and try to call me a narcissist. <laughs> um, you are a narcissist. <laughs> it's, it's so crazy. Um, <laughs> it's almost as if I got to be a part of something rather than I created something. Yeah. You know, like I was in the room, there's a song. So I have two, pr- like I have a, so- a solo project. Okay. It's mainly for AC Christian radio, you okay. know, like, cause that's what I grew up listening to. I love, I still love listening to Christian radio. Yeah. So I love being able to create music for Christian radio. That's cool, man. I totally understand. It's not for, you know, a lot of people like in the Memphis fan base, but that's okay. It's not, it doesn't need to be right. I, it's a huge passion of mine. So I have a song at radio right now called no hold on me. And, uh, I had a buddy come into town and he was like, Hey, I'm, I've got a co-write in Nashville. Can I stay at your house? And I was like, yeah, of course it comes and stays the house. Next morning. He's like, Hey, the, the co-write uh, is canceled because the artist canceled. He's like, would you want to be the artist in the room? And I'm like, I mean, I'm in Memphis mode, not working on solo stuff right now, but sure. And we got into the room and I have never been more certain in my life that God actually gave us a song, like wow. handed us a song that day. We had this one like idea, this one like kind of just like a few words with the melody. We're like, this is, could be kind of like a cool direction. And an hour and a half later, the song was written and the demo was tracked and it was undeniable. Like it was like this, it was a gift. Wow. And you don't feel like that about all the songs, you know, I would say like probably the songs that we've put out in the past that like, I don't love as much. We're just kind of forced, you know, you're like, well, we've got eight great songs. We need to make an album. So here's, <laughs> here's four more. The record you label's know? breathing down our neck. Yeah. <laughs> so, um. You know, it's, uh, it's, that's crazy. That That's crazy. Like having created something, um, just created art and feeling like it wasn't all you, if that makes sense. Yeah, no. That's really powerful. That is cool. I, and I know that feeling when I've written something, you know, yeah. 
written an intro or conclusion i'm talking about my experiences and like in that room sitting there with that veteran and like that connection especially with the older guys man it's like yeah i feel like i'm living in a different planet when i'm talking to them sometimes because totally. they don't they don't even recognize where we live often you know totally They're, our country was a very different place yeah um when they were living and you know some of the veteran that i was with yesterday you know 100 years old uh you know and he's talking about like when he remembers seeing a car for the first time, like, <laughs> you know, like not having electricity in his house yeah, and like watching people line up for bread, like during the great depression, oh, you know, man. like making, you know, talking about making like $25 a month and, you know, just, just crazy dealing with some wild things that you never think about, but writing intros and conclusions for those guys and then like getting done with it and then sending it to them and then being like, that's the best thing that's ever been written about. Me. Oh, man. And like hearing that from one of those legends that is, is like, so awesome, dude. It's such a great feeling. That's and it's so awesome. And it's something that I never thought I would ever do. Yeah. Something. I mean, you know, you kind of grew up in music and you I'm sure you didn't know that you'd be playing in front of thousands and thousands of fans. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a one in a million chance that, you know, like yeah. there are so many, so, so, so many more talented people than me out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's You're like, talented. it's just like, you have to just realize that, you know, I have this opportunity um, that is not guaranteed to everybody that picks up a guitar yeah. or a microphone. Speak and on that a little bit. What, what, what is that like to, to step into that? Uh, I think it was Tiki Barber. He was a uh, running back for the New York Giants. He had a great quote about like, having that opportunity very early in his career to step in from a third string spot to a first string spot and yeah. like saying you have to run with it, dude. You like, do. It's so weird too, because it's like, I feel like I experience more about the highlights of our career now looking back at it than I did like in the moment, because when it's like, okay, you guys put out a record and a lot of people like it. It's time to get on the road and do this and do that and then get ready to do another record and do this and do that. And you're like, oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. And none of it's bad. So you're not like, oh, this sucks. I'm overwhelmed. It's just you don't have a second to breathe and like enjoy it or um, not enjoy it, but understand it. Yeah. Appreciate it, you know? And I look back on moments now and I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's, that was crazy that we did that. And yeah. And I'm like, oh, I wish I would have handled that differently. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, all, all those kind of things. And, and it's just all happened so fast paced that, you know, it's hard to, it's hard in the moment to really actually be present and grateful. How, e how easy is it to get caught up in that, you know, when you're, when you're in the moment and when you're dealing with different things, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, some of those negative comments how how easy is it to get caught up in that when you're under the microscope like that? Oh man, you're seeing the comments. I mean, it's like does that does that hurt? You know, is that does that hurt you? I used to really really care yeah. what, what people said. You know what I mean? Until people said so many things that were not true. Yeah. That you just get to a point where you're like, okay, so wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Everybody could just say anything they want to. Be. <laughs> That's the internet. You know what I mean? Like like literally people can just craft anything. Right. And there is a large group of people that will believe it straight up. Oh yeah. Like literally, like yeah. I had this thing. I still deal with this thing. Literally every day I see something about this thing where people think that I said that I am the voice of a generation. Right. 
I'll tell you what happened. So, and, and in hindsight, you just got to think about it. So this is a perfect example. We're on stage and I'm thinking about this moment. I haven't, I never like prepare what I'm going to say in between songs or whatever. It's like, whatever comes out, comes out. And I'm thinking about this moment where, um, I was talking to my school counselor and she had told me that if I didn't change my lifestyle or choose a different path, that I was not going to be successful. And I needed to like, think about something more realistic than music. And it, what I said to my school counselor was like, no, I think I, I, I need to do music. This is all I want to do. I think I have a purpose there on stage. When I was telling the story, I said, but no, you know, I said no to my counselor. I said, I'm going to be the voice of a generation. What mm-hmm. I meant in that moment was, Hey, I know there's a lot of people in the crowd right now that have people that are telling them they can't do something that they want to do. Just so you know, you can do whatever you want to do. You can be the voice of whatever you can be a, you know, whatever. And I was young too. And like to this day, dude, it's been like eight years. I still get people on the internet being like, wow, dude, thought you were the voice of a generation. Like, <laughs> like oh, I'm dead serious, dude. Because people have like picked it and grabbed it and yeah. been like, oh yeah, that kid, he thinks he's the voice of a generation. And I'm just like, all right, I'm sitting here with like my family and my friends laughing. Yeah. That you just, you know. <laughs> they know you better than you do, man. <laughs> you, you just get numb to it, dude. Yeah. You get numb to it to a certain, to an extent where you're just like, all right, like there's going to be headlines all over the internet, even after I'm dead that say yeah. stuff about me that's not true or that, that, that makes me seem so different than I really am. But I don't have the ability to get to know all 300,000 of the people that follow me on Instagram oh, I know. Yeah. in a way that they can say, oh, somebody said this about Maddie, but I know him and I know that's not true. That's just not possible. That's it. Just is what it is, man. Yeah, you know that's that's interesting. You know, I've always wondered that. So, do you read the comments, or do you just kind of do you just uh, kind of by default? I mean, like yeah. if I'm going through my own social media, I'll see stuff. I definitely don't read all comments. I read a lot of Instagram comments because I like to heart comments to let people know that I'm seeing them right. and that I'm like caring. You know, because I, I do think that there are a lot of great things about social media interacting and being like, hey, here's something I did and I want to share it with you. And if you really enjoy it, I'm really thankful that you enjoyed it. And so here's my heart to let you know that I see you, that I see that you're interacting with like the things I'm putting on the Internet. That's really cool. But like Twitter, like YouTube comments, dude, oh, I have not yeah. read in years. bro. Yeah, that's a bad in idea. <laughs> like it's a bad idea to go down that path. Never. I read a thing on like the rise. Um, our label posted like an, a clip of an old music video the other day or whatever. And like, you know, like I was telling you before we started, our last record was very much like an active rock effort. We wanted to break our that mold and we wanted to get our feet wet at active rock because I know we'll be sending songs to radio for a long time. And, and we made an entire active rock album and that wasn't the right choice. We should have written songs for radio and songs for our fans that have been with us forever. So they didn't feel abandoned by this like crazy genre change out of nowhere, but we're right. just like trying our best. You yeah. know what I mean? Like we're, we're like, you're humans. They're like, all right, we're going to go in with this active rock producer. And we're going to make this rock record. And we go in and we write all these songs and we're like, all right. And everything's moving so fast paced. And then we put it out. And then all of a sudden everyone's like, you suck, man. Like, like what is this? Like you're trash. And I open up this, uh, like rise post. Cause they tagged me in it. And, um, I just start reading down the comments. All these people are like, rest in peace, Memphis Mayfire. Like oh this God. is, and all of a sudden I'm just like, dude, like it's so dark. It's so, it, there is no words. Yeah. And it's like, you get, you see so much of that, that it's like, and you have to just know that it's like, 
Imagine being the guy that gets on the Rise Records Instagram oh, and I know. comments something negative, dude. Like, what? At what point do you have to be at in your life? You know, like how low is is it to to get to the point where you're like, oh, I have I have something to say. You know what I mean? It's like so you just you just stop caring. When I see that kind of stuff, I just think to myself, like, I hope that I've never been that guy. Like, mm-hmm. I hope that I never did that. I hope there wasn't even, like, 14-year-old me, like, sitting by the, you know, somebody's comment section. I don't know. I'm sure I've done it before, like, yeah. way in the past. But yeah. it's like when you see that, you just recognize misery, man. It's like. And I mean, I, I think a lot of people are, it's their entertainment. You know what I right, mean? Like, yeah. the, the world of entertainment has changed so vastly. It's like. Dude, Where you can reach out and touch each other now. Yeah, like, totally. It's. it. You know, and then, and you got to think about it too. Like there might be 150 negative comments on something, but there are like hundreds of thousands of people that are hearing songs, appreciating songs, loving songs, being affected by songs. You can't think that like the, you know, portion of like, you know, like angry kids on the internet, like talking is actually the world's opinion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, So yeah, it's just, it's like, it's a learning process. You know, if, if you're doing anything, it doesn't matter what you do. If you're doing anything that gains attention, it, there's going to be hate around it, yeah, you know, certainly. and um, especially in 2020. Yeah, yeah, especially now. Yeah. Cancel culture. Yeah. For um, it, it's it's a strange thing to hit that space where, you know, where you get that big and you've got that many fans to where there is going to be the negativity. But I've always thought that would be the most awkward part of like being a musician to where it's like you're advancing as an artist there have been so many bands you know where i like i like i like i've always liked incubus a lot like i thought that they're you know that i think it was two albums ago when they really changed their sound like if not now when and there was a real big change and shift in their music I loved it. Like, I thought it was really cool. Like, yeah. They were obviously going on a musical journey mm-hmm. and like they were experiencing that as artists. It's a weird thing to like grow as artists and for like fans to like, you know, fall on that, like not like that and, you know, hate that. Like, yeah. is, is that hard as an artist, like keeping up with what you want and then at the same time wanting your fan base to care. And how do you see that as a musician? Because obviously different musicians see it different. Man, it's so tough. And and honestly, it's like we've put out records that that were not my favorite records. Yeah. And I've gone back to those records and I've thought through the process and really it's like when everything is so fast paced, you're just you're going and you're just like trying something and you're doing it and you're like, you hear it. You're like, I think I like this. I think this is good. I, I want to put this out and you put it out and you're like, Oh, that it wasn't right. And you have those moments, you have failures. You know what I mean? Like nobody is ever going to experience any success without failing and failing and failing, failing, you know, that whole fail forward thing. It's like very cool. Yeah. And so it's like, you can't expect everybody to give everything an honest chance and like really hear it the way that you heard it when you created it. It's not going to happen. Yeah. You know? Um, so it's just, you just kind of like, you just have to do your best and just like hope that something works, you know? Like, <laughs> it's like, you know, people are like, this record sucks. I'm like, I know. Like, I, I, <laughs> I tried, you know? Um, but I had like a hundred other things happening at the same time. And like, you know, uh, but yeah, it's like, so I feel it's extremely blessed with this, uh, with this new Memphis record that we, we we are forced to be home and working on a record for a longer period of time than we usually would. And it's really allowing me to kind of like go back to like that person that's was so young and 
aggressive in the early days of Memphis Mayfire and just be like, man, like so many people were attached to that. And that's so cool because that's, people need that to, to get out what they're feeling and they have to, they have that to relate to. And, and it's just been a really cool way to like, kind of look back on that season and be like, I think that people, when people say like, those are their favorite records, they're not insulting us, you know, it's a compliment, you know, and, um, when someone's like, man, make another record like the hollow, what they're really asking us to do is recreate a moment in time when they were 16 and hanging out with their girlfriend and mm, driving, that's a good point, man. driving their first car. They're not asking for another record that sounds the same. They're yeah. wanting us to give them nostalgia that we can't, we can never give them. Yeah. We got lucky enough to put out a record during a time when someone could hear it and experience it. And now it's a part of that season of their life forever. That's so cool. Yeah. But when you say like, no man, like, I wish Under Oath would have done another record like Define the Great Line. It's like, no, dude, like Define the Great Line has a taste and a smell yeah. because because of what I was doing when that record came out, like how it how it like it's correlated with my life at that time. And I would never expect them to be able to do that for me again. You know? Yeah. And what's interesting about that is like is if they were like did replicate something like that, then there will be a whole score of people that would be like. Gosh, it sounds just oh, like the last one. Trust me, crap. like when we put out Unconditional, everyone's like, "Oh, great, Challenger 2.0." And then we put out the next, <laughs> and then we put out the next record. And everyone's like, "Why didn't you make a record more like Challenger?" And you're just like, "Dude, literally, like, I, I wish I could like actually hang out with you in a room and like talk to you because you don't feel like real people." These, these comments, like, on, you know, like YouTube and stuff, like, you're like, "This can't be real." Yeah, you know what I mean. But it is. Yeah, um, it is real. Yeah. yeah. So that's interesting, man. Um, you know, so as you move forward, you know, with Memphis Mayfire and, you know, you move into the future, what do you really want to see the most from the band and in, in, in the direction that you guys go? Obviously, it's, uh, you know, it's a group decision, you know, yeah. you're working with a lot of moving parts and all yeah. that. But what do you what do you think? What do you think your your legacy is with the group? Because we talk about legacy a lot with the Veterans Project. You know, yeah, totally. That principle. Man, I just. um I just want to give people art that reminds them that they're not alone in what they're going through. I think that's been always been our mission. Yeah. You know, for me with anxiety, talking to all these people that had never been through it, keep your chin up, man. Like it's going to be okay. Life gets better. You know, like best yet to come. Hope's right around the corner. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, I hate that. It's (laughs) like, I know they're trying. Why is this not making me feel better? And then, and then I, and then I talked to somebody at a bar and they're like, oh man, you're having panic attacks? That's the worst, dude. I go through that too. Isn't it crazy how it kind of feels like blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden I start sparking. I'm like, oh my gosh, I am not losing my mind. This guy knows what I'm talking about. He's feeling this too. Like I feel like giving up because I don't know how to deal with what I'm feeling. Right. But this guy knows what it's like. And we're talking, we're having a conversation about what it's like and it's healing. I want music that does that for people. Yeah. I want to make music that does that for people. That's powerful. What about you personally? What do you What do you think? You know, what's most important with your wife and your family and and your friends and how they how they view you? You know, my relationship with my wife and my family and my close friends is very different than my relationship with fans. You know, because yeah, of course. It, it has to. It be. has to be. It doesn't. You, you could never have the same. It's like we have like every day. We have. Like I said, some of my best friends bought the house across the street. Every single day, we have intimate moments where we talk about what we're dealing with in life. You know, 
like, you know, two weeks ago, my car got smashed into in a parking lot with like a hit and run. And the next week I was in Florida for a fishing trip and our rental car got robbed and the guy took everything. Wow. And then my grandma got diagnosed with cancer and like this and that and everything. But it's like, I'm not going to, I, a lot of people do, but I'm not going to get on Instagram stories and start like ranting about all of the pain behind the scenes and stuff that I'm actually dealing with in the moment right now. Mm more than happy to like talk about things as they come to resolve and, and everything and, and be like, Hey, I've been through something similar to that. And, and this is how I got through all those kind of things. But like my family and my friends and my people that are right here with me, dude, they go through life with me, Yeah, you know? And, uh, and I just, I think that my wife and I love entertaining. We love just like hosting and investing in people and like really developing genuine relationship that'll last a lifetime. That's who, that's who we are to our friends and family. That's awesome. Well, Maddie, I, I really appreciate the conversations uh, that we've had. It's very important. It's a cool way to kick this off with heart support. You know, yeah. it's kind of like wondering who the first guy would be. And we, we talked about you as we were coming through Nashville. So that Dude, was... it's an absolute honor, man. I feel like you, you've opened my eyes to quite a bit and I can't wait to learn more and get involved however I can with the Veterans Project. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. And uh, don't forget to all of you out there who are listening, uh, this has been kind of our newest edition of partnership with uh, Heart Support. And we're going to be talking about a lot about them in the future and what we can do uh, to help mental health, not just with veterans, but civilians, you know, really build that bridge and bridge the gap and help our communities come together. Cause that's what we need. You know, we, in the end of the day, we are all Americans. And, uh, so that's very important, uh, to us at the project and to those at heart support. So for those of you listening, don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the podcast. And most of all, don't forget our legacies are the mission. This has been the veterans project podcast with our founder, Tim K. Check us out at www.thevetsproject.com, on Instagram at The Veterans Project, Facebook The Veterans Project, and Twitter at Project underscore Veteran. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, our legacies are the mission.